You are listening to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring you the best tactics, strategies, and actionable insights for change through our powerful interviews with change management practitioners and leaders. And now here's your host, Brian Gorman. Welcome to this edition of the Change Management Review Podcast. I'm Brian Gorman, Managing Editor of Change Management Review. And our guest today is Will Scott. Will is a self-described culture czar, founder and actuator of the Culture Fix Academy, and has had a lifelong attraction to creating environments where people thrive. As a boy growing up in Zambia, Will often built tree houses, forts, cave dwellings, and bamboo huts as places for people to gather. As he writes in his book, The Culture Fix, he set rules and posted them, much like the popular posters of core values that you'll see in many of today's businesses to keep us all on the same page. Today, Will works across industries globally, helping organizations define and live into a values-based culture. Welcome, Will. Thank you, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Will, in the Culture Fix, you speak of leaders who, quote, see themselves as leading a culture, not just a company. I'm not sure I've ever heard anyone position leaders that powerfully in association with culture. Well, well, I love it. And actually, I think it's the more grandiose of the two. Um, I think many business leaders do think of themselves leading a business, but that puts in your head kind of a little bit the four walls of the organization, maybe an internal perspective. But I think if you think of yourself as leading a culture, how that extends well beyond the boundaries, the traditional boundaries of a business. I like to think of us, you know, leading from a values perspective, our upstream vendors, our downstream customers. And don't forget all our stakeholders, you know, when they go home at night, they are all an extension of our culture and we have an opportunity to influence them. And so leading from values, from a heart forward perspective, I think this is what I mean by being, by leading a culture, not simply leading a business. I want to drive down that path a little bit with you because again, very few leaders talk about their those who work for them. And I, I am more and more getting away from talking about employers and employees and talking about people, the, yeah. those, those people who work for them. Very few leaders talk about the, the relationship between work and what happens with those people when they leave at the end of the day. Why is that important from a, a, a leadership and business perspective? Well, I think that's always been important, but uh, it's certainly brought home to us on a regular basis in the current climate, isn't it? As employees are showing that they will vote with their feet and their hearts to work for an employer where there is meaning and an employer where they feel like there is purpose to their work and they're not simply showing up for, for a paycheck. Those days are, are very much in, in an old-fashioned past. And employees also know that they have a choice in terms of where they work from a cultural perspective, in terms of the values that the, and it's really in terms of the way they feel in those companies. And people want to feel safe 
people want to feel that they are empowered and have a language that they can use to you know lift up but also correct people whose behaviors are in keeping or not in keeping with their own values and that's why i think it's so important that in organizations and the people within them align from a values perspective and that doesn't by the way before i get that traditional challenge <laughs> oh wait does that mean everyone's like us and we and everyone's the same no it doesn't we can have the most diverse population in an organization that you can imagine but they can operate with a code of conduct around having values in common and that is when magic happens so i want to spend a little more time uh, working or talking about values and again your whole approach to the culture fix begins with values mm-hmm. but what yeah. i found what I found interesting is you write, there needs to be some doing before defining a values to ensure there is a legacy from which to build and develop a culture. Although you could draft core values early in the inception of a business, it's always good to keep them fluid in the early stages. Why wouldn't you want to be very clear, very articulate, very specific about the values from the very first? Well, it's because, um, again, we're not trying to, the, the, the danger is that if we define our culture and set it in stone on day one, that it will be aspirational and will not really represent the, the collective. And I find that, uh, I, and I understand that the desire for leaders to want to do that. And I say, that's fine. Just don't set them in stone and be ready within six months, within 12 months you know, to refresh and to tweak because culture is really formed when people have been operating together for a while and have gone through some ups and downs of life together and show, had an opportunity to show values and to show response to certain situations. And that's why, you know, many of the companies that I work with have core values already, but we go in and we, we refresh them with doing the surveys and the interviews and digging into the DNA of the company, digging into the philosophies and the stories. And then we do get an altogether more, um, more connected kind of, uh, of a cultural definition and one that the population feels that they absolutely can buy into and live with and they know what it looks like when it's, when it's apparent and they know what it looks like when it is you know, in the shadows. The journey you describe in the culture fix is, quote, from values to valued culture. And and again, I just have to give you kudos for valued culture because not very many companies value their culture. They just sort of know it's there. You define the journey in terms of nine deeds. Would you name and just briefly describe each one? So first of all, can I say that, yes, I know many companies have core values, right? They go through the exercise in a couple of hours in a conference room, usually the, the leaders, and then they send them out somehow. They roll them out or they email them or they lives in a, you know, in a document and they think the job is done and they expect people just to suddenly start living by values. Well, obviously that, that doesn't work. And yet that is the modus operandi for most organizations and we know that there is a need 
to not just discern the values, that's one of the Ds, discern the values, but also to um, live them, breathe them, and make sure they are alive and thriving on a daily basis once they have been discerned and launched or, or, or distributed. And that's why, look, it's, I'm saying, yeah, it's not enough to simply have core values. What you really want is a valued culture. And if you apply the nine deeds in 90 days that we have in the culture fix, you're going to go a long way, but you still need to keep maintaining it. But you're going to go a long way to not just having uh, core values, but having a valued culture. And we measure this, by the way. We, we, we use the MPS scale to, as one of the measurements to um, test the entire population in terms of how they would rate the culture at the beginning and the end. And we always see 30, 40 point Im improvements. So it, it clearly works and, and you can measure culture. Now it is too, I feel like it's too much to go through the nine, all of the nine deeds, but I can summarize them a little bit like this because there are three Ds under each of our, bring a culture alive, make it thrive and use it to drive performance. So alive, thrive and drive. Those are the three major aspects of the culture fix uh, but there just happens to be three deeds under each one to give somebody people really tactical things to do like discern discern meaning to go within to discern our values don't dream dream is not one of the d's <laughs> not dream up the values but to discern them go within and really you know um uh, and, and do that so the um, if i can just summarize the alive thrive and drive I can do that, I think, in a reasonable time frame. So the alive part is all about, yes, wordsmithing very carefully, the words that are going to define our culture and making sure that those are pertinent to us. Hopefully, we're the only organization in the world with those values that are that unique and that they are drawing on um, something that is, is really known best to us. That's when we know we've unearthed something that is really unique and special and we know what it means and it gives us some excitement. And it's not just the, the typical values that people often choose of, of, you know, integrity and honesty and those sorts of things. And I'm not saying those are bad values. They're not, they're marvelous values, but I think we can go better and I think we can make them more meaningful to folks. So that's, that's really what the alive part about is about. Then we move to thrive. Let's take those words, make them graphically engaging and uh, make sure they're, they're ingrained in our meeting rhythms and that we have a nomination scheme that is allowing people to sh give shout outs and to lift up when they see those values being, being um, exhibited. And then in the drive phase, the rubber really hits the road here. And this is where we start measuring people according to their alignment with cultures, not just the employees, but, but especially candidates that we're considering recruiting into the organization. Also, we can rank our, our key partners and our customers. That's a beautiful exercise. Look at how customers align with our values. And Brian, 100% of the time, when I, when I do this with clients, I have found that clients that they can absolutely align when they can show alignment on values, of course, there's less friction. They enjoy working with those customers and they're making money with those customers. When the opposite is true, the team, our team has been drained and the best thing we can do is unhire those customers where there's high friction, low values alignment, and we're most likely losing money with those clients. It's, I'm, I'm talking mostly, of course, in a B2B sort of service environment here. But um, yeah, that, that's, so that's another great thing that's part of the drive. And then we do things like um, have behavioral-based interview questions, 
in the drive phase, which are, which are drawn from the stories, from our folklore that sort of define our culture. So um, by the time you've got great words that are visually engaging, that are, are tied into a meeting rhythm with shout outs and nominations, and then we're hiring and unhiring um, stakeholders according to alignment with values. And finally, the last deed um, is determined, which is measuring. So we make sure we're measuring that we're getting, of course, an investment, a return on our investment, which I like to see 10x return on investment in the first 12 months of investing in a cultural program, cultural fulfillment program, like we lay out in the Culture Fix. One of the things that really blew me away when I was reading the book was how you bring value, values into virtually every aspect of the business. So you've mentioned hiring and unhiring. You've mentioned um, customer and stakeholder relationships. Um, but you, you bring it into uh, performance evaluations, learning and development, um, process design. Um, yes, it's, yes. it's it really becomes the heart the, the 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 fuel the nervous system the the brain the, the everything in in the company yes when values are that ingrained and just to pick up on one of your examples there we like to to, to have our um our master process or the or have the chart for how work flows through the company and show how the values are apparent in the way work flows through the company just to pick up on one of those examples that you said yes we when when we when values are that ingrained in our workflows some magic happens for example everyone in the organization can make decisions when faced with a with a decision they can make decisions the way that the leaders would and the way that the owner would or the way that others would because they can reference the values. It's right there in front of them. And, um, you know, I believe that, the, that actually our, our culture, our, our core chart, which answers all the big strategic questions for us, including our values, it's a bit like a, a soldier should never be more than an arm's length from his rifle, his or her rifle. Likewise, I like to believe the employee's eyeballs, you know, should always be able to strike the core chart so that we've got that cheat sheet and we can draw on the, on the beautiful messages therein and use them to power the way we work and the way we work with each other. Yes. Toward the end of the book, you state that the key to driving your business is forming a continuum of culture. Is that what we're talking about here or do you mean something else? By continuum, I mean, you know, our job is not done when we launch the values, when we've got the bare interview questions and all that. We need to constantly be referring to them. And uh, the leaders, it's most important that the leaders do this. You know, whatever you do around culture, there are two dynamics that drive the way people behave in an organization. And one is the incentives that are in place. And so if the incentives are in place, pay no attention to values, and they're all about top line, you're, that's what you're going to get. And the other big driver for how people behave is what they see the leaders doing. So flip that and imagine that we have incentives in place, including, as you said, reviewing folks according to their alignment with the values. That's an incentive which drives people to behave according to the values that we want to see. 
And of course, if the leaders are leading with values, talking about values, behaving consistent with the values, then we will get the folks doing that as well. And, um, you know, the, the old expression about the, uh, about the ideal employee being a great culture fit and performing. And we, it is possible to get everybody operating in that magic top right quadrant. And that's when, you know, it's just a joy to be a leader of an organization like that. I've been that person and seen fast growth, profitable growth, um, and, and folks, you know, behaving in concert with the values. It's really, a, a, I've been able to work on the business instead of in the business, you know, there's low friction, low number of issues. And when issues come up, they're easily and quickly addressed. Um, prioritizing customers, you know, all those kinds of things happen when, when you're living in that, in that state. Will, in the book, you provide several illustrations of the importance of culture. I'd like to end with this one. It's not just about making the work environment more enriching. It's also about making each and every individual feel like they belong to something bigger than themselves. Could you give us an example or two of how this plays out in different types of work environments like manufacturing or the service industry and, and so forth? Yes. Gosh, I've got a lot of examples. This is one of my favorite subjects um, because one of the things that, that I believe is very important to culture is putting words to the why, is, is, is defining why we do what we do and really what, what's the purpose. And when, when that's in front of the employees all the time, Again, it's not just about showing up for a paycheck now. They realize there's meaning to their work. Even if they are shuffling papers, if we can have, help them understand that it's for some great need, satisfying some great need that's doing goodness for the world, then I believe they can get motivation around that work. They, that increases their loyalty to their work. So, so some examples. Um, I love the example of, uh, of an immigration attorney, for example, who... Uh, we were able to define her purpose. And I'll kind of say you the story of how we get there, but basically keep asking why. And um, in this case, uh, the immigration attorney was able to state that their purpose was keeping families together. And suddenly those magic words had a whole impact on everything they did, how they would talk to a prospective client. You know, imagine now you're, you're we, oh, we don't just get, do visas and, 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 and immigration paperwork. We care about keeping families together, you know, that resonates with somebody who is look, wondering which immigration attorney to go with. Likewise for the employees who in, in, in one story at six o'clock at night was heard calling their partner saying, honey, can I stay in the office another hour? Because I believe I can keep another family together today. It's absolutely magic the way this touches all the stakeholders, but it needs to be defined and needs to be led and talked about. Another example would be, you asked for a manufacturing example. So a plastic injection molder who is making um, white boxes, right? And before we were working there, they're just making white plastic boxes. And it's just a numbers game. Right, they don't have they're not have they don't have a vested feeling in it. And there were some you know black specks being let through, black specks in these white boxes being let through the process. Well, once we made them aware that actually these white boxes were helping put clean, fresh food on the tables of families right across America, and these white boxes were vegetable trays for general electric refrigerators, 
it changed the way those workers felt about the work they were doing. So the defects went down. The number of you know, vegetable pans with black specks in them went down. They kept the machine cleaner and so on. And um, so that's the way we can engage people with, with purpose. I could give you uh, uh, one more example, Brian, or is that, yeah? Okay. <laughs> Think of a kitchen remodeler. Most kitchen remodelers go in, talking about designs and, you know, uh, stainless appliances and uh, shiny granite countertops. But you can change that conversation too and to generate more success for your business when you start talking about why that stuff matters. And so in, in this, this, in this uh, case, this client um, in, in Indianapolis was very mindful about their purpose, which was to think about the families creating memories in those kitchens around that, you know, granite island and doing so with their neighbors as well. And how that was actually the, the kitchen as a springboard from which to live their best lives. The, the most, the best, as, the best as well as it can be designed and constructed and everything else with that in mind, you know, and you're talking to your, the, the clients about creating those, those memories there and that being a springboard from which to live your best life, it changes the, you know, the headspace. And so um, they, of course, noticed they started closing more of the tenders that they were putting out there and getting great video testimonials at the end of those projects from which they could use in social media and so on, where they, their, their customers are playing back their words. You know, yeah, yeah, we got a fabulous kitchen, but what's more important is we just feel like we're creating great memories here. And, you know, <laughs> you get the idea, I think. Absolutely. Will, this is fascinating. What else do you want to make sure our listeners hear about culture and the culture fix? Well, yeah. So, okay. So, so let's talk about something that's very current today, Brian. And, and, and in, in a world where, you know, two thirds of employees are still disengaged in the workplace, in, in, in a world where um, emotions are, are running high in, in lower respects, right? Because there's a lot of conflict potentially in our world today that can be brought into the workplace. In, in a world where people actually like working from home, but a lot of companies are talking about RTO, return to office, and putting policies and structures in around there. This is an opportunity for us, actually, if we can do a great job of, um, and these are culture questions, but if we can do a great job of leading those issues with a heart forward rather than a head forward mentality, we can win the hearts and minds of those folks. We can compete with companies that are not willing to do that. And um, just, you know, one tactical example of that, I think, is people um, have, uh, as a result of COVID, you know, enjoyed having a schedule that not only worked for their employer, but for themselves. And rather than having that old-fashioned handbook, which says our core hours are nine to five people, you know, in the office, I think now we need to have more of a one-to-one -one kind of a relationship between the employer and the employee or the employer and the associates of that company. And that's catering in to whatever their needs may be. And that is, can, can in some cases be all we need to do to make that employee feel cared for and make them feel, why do they need to go anywhere else or, or spend time looking at the jobs board and LinkedIn while you're paying them? If they've got the schedule they want, they've got their, they feel like they're being heard and cared for in a one-to-one -one kind of employee-employer relationship. They've got a cultural definition that's within, within sight, 
that they can leverage whenever things are not feeling good in the workplace and they can have meaning and purpose to it and put all that on a beautiful core chart and you know you've done a great job for your for your team as a leader we haven't talked about it here and and we don't really have a lot of time to to dive into it at this point but i really am coming from a place of believing that we are at a for lack of a better term pivot point in the future of work that the old industrial age model of monday to friday nine to five is on its way out and there will be a much more complex tapestry based on the needs of the employers, the needs of the employees or the people that work for them, and the needs of the customers and other stakeholders. To me, what you're saying really provides a beautiful framework for weaving that tapestry for the individual organization. So how do people get a hold of you? Well, yes, I'd be happy to have a conversation with anybody that, that would like to you know, further this conversation. And the best way to get a hold of me is, sorry, it's kind of a long email address, but I'll give that. It's, it's will at theculturefix.academy. Now, um, of course, you can just Google Will Scott Culture Czar too, and, and, and you'll find ways to contact me. My contact details are also in, 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 in the book, The Culture Fix, which is available on Amazon. And that's the textbook. There's also a fable version, which is uh, The Gift of Culture. And uh, yeah, that's also available on, on, on Amazon. So thank you for that opportunity to, to talk to your listeners. Thank you, Will. Have a great day. Thanks, Brian. Enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Change Management Review Podcast. Be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.